Welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast. On today's show, actor, performer, musician, and television icon, John Davidson. I've never felt that John Davidson was stage-worthy. What is the role of John Davidson? And then I went to college at Denison University in Ohio, and uh, I took some courses in theater arts and did a couple of plays and shows, and I realized that that was my way of getting out of my own way, uh, being able to play a role on stage. Role-playing, if you play the role, then that makes you feel like it's okay to be there. Greetings and welcome back to the Fun to Know podcast with Dan Buskirk. We can be found along with past episodes at iTunes and Stitcher, as well as SoundCloud at soundcloud.com backslash fun to know, always with the numeral two. You can find photos and more about our guests on the Fun to Know podcast pages at Facebook and at Twitter at Fun to Know Podcast. And would be delighted if you take a minute to leave a review of our show on iTunes any of those uh, platforms, just send me a note or your thoughts through Facebook. Thanks again for tuning in. I'll be out live hosting two events this upcoming week, both affiliated with jazz music. On Thursday, April 27th, I'll be hosting the Q&A following a screening of the new documentary, The Jazz Loft, according to W. Eugene Smith, directed by Sarah Fishko. The film captures a popular Lower Manhattan jazz hangout during the years of 1957 to 1965 that was rented out by Life magazine photographer W. Eugene Smith, where he compulsively recorded and photographed jazz musicians and other nightlife denizens as they hung out and performed. The free event will happen at 6 p.m. at the Garden Theater on Nassau Street in Princeton, New Jersey, and of course you're all invited the following Sunday, April 30th, I'll be at the Ibrahim Theater at the International House in Philadelphia to help in hosting bassist Jamaluddin Takuma's third annual Outsiders Festival. A sure-to-be stunning evening of jazz music, including appearances by David Murray, Khalil El-Zabar, the band Harriet Tubman, guitarist Nick Melvoy's quintet multi-instrumentalist Jamie Saft and more. Should be a wonderful evening. You can find out more about these events online and please stop by and say hello if you attend. Now on to today's show with our guest, entertainer John Davidson. The family traveled up to Saratoga Spring last month as my wife appeared in the pilot of a TV show called The Caregiver Connection, following the stories of people involved in healthcare in America. The pilot was hosted by guitar strumming John Davidson, who has been a ubiquitous TV presence since the 1960s, appearing as a host with Fran Tarkington and Kathy Lee Crosby on the ABC hit show That's Incredible, acting in various TV shows, recording a number of records for the Columbia label, and singing and dancing on Broadway in Rodgers and Hammerstein's State Fair. And most recently, we found John touring as the wizard with the hit show Wicked. It's been a while since we've seen John in the spotlight, and I wasn't sure what to expect, so it was a pleasant surprise to find the entertainer, now in his 70s, to be such a warm and open human being, taking time after a long filming day to sit down and talk about his career, about knowing Walt Disney, about working with Carol Burnett, Telly Savalas, the Cowardly Lion, Bert Lahr, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, growing up the son of a preacher, playing John Davidson, atheism, hosting The Tonight Show, the era of Donald Trump, and even performing a few of his original songs for us. 
You can find out more about what's going on with John today at johndavidson.com. And thanks to producer Todd Quate for sharing his insight and talent with the Fun to Know podcast. We'll also hear a bit of John's recordings throughout the show. Let's take a listen to a snippet from his recording of the Tim Harden song, If I Was a Carpenter, as we head over to our conversation. The Fun to Know podcast is up here in Saratoga Springs, and I uh, couldn't be more delighted to uh, get a chance to have a bit of a conversation with John Davidson, the actor and singer and TV host, and uh, he's certainly familiar with anybody who watched TV. Oh, guys, through the 70s through 90s, uh, it seems like uh, John Davidson was everywhere. And uh, he started off with uh, on stage uh, going back to 1964 and uh, was everywhere on television, on sitcoms like uh, The Girl with Something Extra. He was a guest on both Fantasy Island and The Love Boat. He was, uh, he was a host for, uh, for many shows and an entertainer. And I uh, couldn't be more delighted to have you here. He's uh, really uh, made the enviable change from uh, almost intimidatingly handsome to uh, ruggedly handsome. And he still seems as game as a cheetah to do what he's done for the last 50 years. And that's entertain people. He's here with his guitar today. And I'd love to talk to him about uh, what he's been doing recently and uh, the wonderful career that he's had over 50 years as an entertainer. Uh, thanks for coming out here, John. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, it is confusing describing my career because I, I did. I started on Broadway in a Broadway show called Foxy. It was Burt Lars' last show. And uh, I was going to go to Broadway and just, just be a Broadway guy, musical theater. Uh, my major, I got a BA in musical theater from Denison University in Ohio. And that's all I wanted to do was Broadway. And a guy came to see the Broadway show, a guy named Bob Banner. He was a television producer. He produced the Gary Moore show and the Dinah Shore show. And he had just signed Carol Burnett from a Broadway musical called Fade Out, Fade In to develop Carol Burnett as a variety show host. And of course, developed into the Carol Burnett show. And he wanted to develop a guy to be a variety show host as he had Carol Burnett being a girl. And so he saw me in this Broadway show and he signed me to a development contract, something that was, is very rare. I got very lucky. I just feel that my whole career, I'm in debt to Bob Banner for, for giving it to me because he negotiated a Columbia Records, my first record contract. He helped me put together my first Las Vegas show and, and laid it all out, how, the, how the, a nightclub act. He helped me with, uh, with this whole concept of being not just a pitchfork, it's not just a spear, but to be a pitchfork. What does that mean? Uh, Tony Bennett is a spear. Johnny Mathis is a spear. These are guys that do one thing really, really well. And he said to me, you're going to be a pitchfork. You're going to have about four prongs, and uh, you're going to learn to do all of that, and you're going to have a versatile career that's going to keep you going all, all your life, and certainly has 50 years. And we're going to learn to you know, take acting lessons, singing lessons, dancing lessons, uh, you're going to do a sitcom, you're going to host some television shows, maybe even a game show along the way. You're going to do recordings, you're going to do uh, uh, play Las Vegas, do concerts, um, all of that. Do a sitcom with Sally Field called The Girl with Something Extra, where I played her husband. 
<laughs> and so it's been a broad career. It's been confusing because if you try to figure out what a John Davidson is, well, yeah, I've been a game show host. I've been a, a starred on Broadway and most recently went back to Broadway for a new musical based on the State Fair movies. It was called State Fair, but it was actually a new Rodgers and Hammerstein musical because State Fair was originally written for Hollywood. So it's been crazy. Uh, and then I've, I've sung, uh, done my live show in... Now I'm working more as a traveling troubadour and uh, doing small folk clubs, mostly in New England, but in the Midwest some, doing my one-man show with my guitar, lots of jokes, and, uh, but doing it all with just my guitar, like, kind of like a Garth Brooks. I admire Garth Brooks enough, I think, a lot. I think he's a great entertainer. So that's a long story to who I am. So what was, what was the impetus early on? What, what the, pushed you in the direction when you were a young man into thinking of yourself as an entertainer? I was a very shy kid. And uh, I, all through high school, I, 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 even when I played in a band in high school, I was just the guitar player. I didn't get out in front of the band at all. I was very shy. And then I went to college at Denison University in Ohio and uh, met some theater arts people. And uh, I took some courses in theater arts and did a couple of plays and shows, and I realized that that was my way of getting out of my own way, uh, being able to play a role on stage. Role-playing is an important part of anyone's to, to play a role. Right now, you're playing the role of a, a talk show host, right, a radio show host. Well, the first time you did it, uh, you'd never done it, and so you've got... But if you... If you play the role of a host, then that makes you feel like it's okay to be there. I've never felt that John Davidson was stage worthy. So to play Curly in Oklahoma gave me the right to be on stage. A big trick that Bob Banner taught me was, what is the role of John Davidson? And so I began to put together ideas and which sides of myself that I wanted to present. And gradually, it was theater arts that brought me out. So I, I went into theater because I liked theater people. I liked the freedom of being on stage. What was the experience of uh, being on Broadway so early in the, in the career like? The scariest thing I've done is opening night on Broadway. It was uh, uh, just, just scary. Uh, a lot of important people were out there. Fortunately, I got great reviews my first time out. Uh, I did, think, you have, did you have much interaction with Bert Lahr at all? Yes. Um, he, uh, Bert Lahr was a warrior. He, you know, he was the cowardly lion. And uh, like a lot of comedians, he was very hard on himself. He wasn't really a very happy person. I think a lot of comedians are too hard on themselves, but it's what makes them funny, you know? That's a, that's a weird thing, but... It's funny that anxiousness uh, was certainly exemplified in the, in the cowardly line in that role. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He, uh, he taught me a lot just by watching. I used to watch him from side stage every night. He was never the same. He played it. He just made it happen every night. And uh, quite an inspiration, yeah. his focus. It must have been an incredible uh, uh, boost of confidence to have someone like Bob Banner really agree in you and see you as this, this kind of entertainer. What, what kind of man was he like? What was your relationship with him like? Uh, very close to him. Uh, he had three sons, and uh, uh, 
So, I mean, he, he, he knew about raising kids. He was, well, he was 20 years older than I. So when he signed me, he was 44 and I was 24. And uh, he was developing as a television producer and, and, uh, and, and winning uh, all sorts of awards and things. He saw something in me. I think uh, he saw a guy who was pliable, who was malleable or whatever those words are, who was able to take direction. I think I was open I, I wasn't so cocky that I wouldn't listen to anybody. I think people starting out in any field, you've got to be open and you've got to be pliable and able to be directed. And whether you're working for IBM or, or, or television station or, or whatever, you've got to be open to take advice, usually from older people. A lot of young people need to learn that, that it's older people that are going to give you your jobs not people your age, not your peers. Yeah. So you've got to learn to take advice from and get along with older people. And uh, I guess that was one of the things I learned early. My, my dad was a Baptist preacher, and so I was a preacher's kid. I'm not religious at all now. I'm openly secular. I'm a member of a group called Openly Secular. You can go online and look it up. It's a, it's a group that just says it's okay to be an atheist. It's okay to... To, to be a non-believer, it's really okay. And so finally, a couple of years back, I became openly secular. But my dad was a preacher, and being a preacher's kid, you're on, you're on stage at a very early age. So even though I was quite shy, I had to be the epitome of what a young man should be uh, every Sunday. I learned to deal with older people. Yeah, I think of uh, Nat King Cole. His, his father was a preacher as well, and mm -hmm. I think, like, boy, you know, really had the manners and uh, mm -hmm. the uh, you know the discipline of a, of a, of a preacher's kid. Um, you ended up on the, on the Entertainers, which I think was a show that. Uh... Yes, that was Bob Banner's show that introduced Carol Burnett with her. Own, that was before the Carol Burnett show. It's called the Entertainers with Carol Burnett, Bob Newhart, and and uh, Dom DeLuise and I were introduced on that show as a was a weekly singer. And uh, did a few little sketches, but basically a singer. And that gave me the, my experience. It was done in, in the old Ed, Ed Sullivan Theater, which is now the David Letterman. No, it's now the Stephen Colbert Theater. And um, CBS on 52nd Street. That was, that's what gave me my start, the entertainers in 64, 65. And then, uh, then I did a replacement show in 66. I replaced Andy Williams and... and and uh, Perry Como in the summer, hosting the Crafts Summer Music Hall. And my regular guests were George Carlin, Richie Pryor, and Flip Wilson. <laughs> Just amazing group. I would love to hear anything about working with George Carlin or, oh. or Richard Pryor. They're still name-checked by, uh, you know, all serious comedians yeah. as being... Uh... Well, George Carlin wrote the show as well. He, he was... Uh, still in the square phase then, I'd imagine, he was, right? Yeah, he was very contained. He wore a suit and tie. And you could tell that something was festering inside of him, but he hadn't yet quite gotten on. He was growing. He was evolving. Um, after that show, then he went on to really getting in touch with himself much, much more and becoming the great George Carlin. But at that time, he was a show writer and having to conform to some of those things as a writer. And then he was doing his own spot as well, but very funny, uh, very off the wall. Richie Pryor was already zooming as a, as a stand-up comedian and doing these great routines. And Flip Wilson was doing Geraldine and, and some of his early <laughs> stuff. And uh, uh, another major 
thing in your career. Uh, you were signed, I believe, by Walt Disney himself to uh, a contract with the Disney films? Yeah. Uh, Walt Disney saw me on a television variety show, The Bell Telephone Hour, and they were looking for someone to be a star in their musical films to follow Mary Poppins. And so I signed a, a three-picture contract to go out. To, that's what brought me to California, was starring in The Happiest Millionaire, opposite Leslie Ann Warren and um, and that was the next musical after Mary Poppins. Uh, so, Fred McMurray was the the, the, the yeah, Fred star. Fred McMurray was there. the big star. I was just the the juvenile. I was, I was being introduced, <laughs> and uh, had some great Sherman Brothers songs to sing. I'm sure. Yes, uh, they, it was full of the Sherman Brothers music, and of course they wrote Mary Poppins. And um, this was made to be a big roadshow musical as well. I think it originally clocked in at something like two hours and forty minutes. And uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it played uh, Radio City Music Hall, and but it was never the success that Mary Poppins was because it didn't have any animation in it. But it gave me my start, and then I went on to do the one and only genuine original family band at Disney. Interesting thing for me was on Happiest Millionaire, Walt Disney was there, and he insisted that I call him Walt. We all called him Walt, and at at lunch he'd be sitting at the table next to us, and and. Uh, he called me John, and uh, it was a great experience meeting this incredible man. Today, very, very gracious. Today, it's, I mean, it's, he has the stature of like Abraham Lincoln or something. It's hard yeah. to imagine him as a as a living man. But uh, I mean, yeah. I guess he was uh, uh, well, amazing. He he was a great, great man, so intelligent, and yet he smoked almost one cigarette right after another. He was a chain smoker. What a shame! And then on, so he died after Happiest Millionaire. And the next film was The Family Band. So I did the last film he worked on, musical, and the first one after he died, when everybody was saying, well, what would Walt do? And of course, you can't run a studio that way. So it was a very crazy time to be at Disney. It was before Michael Eisner, uh, who was a fraternity brother of mine at Denison. Really? It was before Michael Eisner <laughs> came in and took over Disney. Yeah, they went for uh, at least a good decade really floundering and really trying to def define their footing. And uh, mm -hmm. they were very family-oriented through the, the late 60s and the early 70s in, mm -hmm. in a way that you know, might have held them back from some of the successes they had, I mm -hmm. think. I guess it was before Touchstone films and all that. Yeah, they, yeah. But they're certainly doing well now. I just saw Beauty and the Beast. And <laughs> it's very well done and just great. Ba -da -ba -da, ba -da -da. But you also, uh, at this point, were, uh, were doing serious acting roles as, as well. Uh, well, I had a manager that came on and said, why don't we find some roles that are really offbeat and that can show your acting talent? Because I studied acting in New York. Um, and he found a role on the streets of San Francisco where I played a transvestite. I just watched the episode today, as a matter of fact. <laughs> this was a guy who uh, couldn't stop himself from becoming the woman. And as the woman... An old film star from the 30s. Carol Marlowe. Carol Marlowe, yes. As the woman, uh, I would stab guys through the heart with a hat pin. So I was a killer. And uh, so Carl Malden and Michael Douglas finally caught me. And uh, it was a 
very daring role back then. It's impressive today, watching it, watching it today. I, I was, mm. uh, it's, uh, it calls for a lot. And, and uh, you were shockingly uh, attractive as a woman. Oh, thank you. I, I, I watched for a while. I thought, I don't think that's him. And, uh, well, yeah, they really I, did quite a job of transforming you into a woman in that. Yeah. Very, I, very, very well, nicely Hitchcockian. I rehearsed, I rehearsed for a, with a female impersonator for about a month. We we did things on tape. And, was it in San Francisco? Uh, no, well in L.A. In no, L.A. In LA. Okay. What was and, the, what was the rehearsals with the female impersonator like? Uh, was my impressions of him? Well, I knew that he knew how to do this, and he said, it's, "Being a, a, a drag queen is not just uh, being a woman. It's it's that exaggerated thing." That in order to be a good uh, trans uh, or drag queen, you and, and you've got to you've got to exaggerate being a woman. It isn't just being a woman. And I guess what I realized that that I mean, even vocally, oh, a woman doesn't really talk up. Not all women talk <laughs> up here like that. And so it's, her voice is really. I, I found a voice up there like that to be her. Where so the difference between men and women is is not as great as I thought, you know. It was um, uh, my wife at the time that was during my first marriage, and uh, it was kind of scary because I had to shave off my eyebrows to do the makeup, and so I looked really <laughs> weird. And uh, but it 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 turned a lot of uh, heads, and and a lot of people accepted me as a, as a singer who could act because of that. So it it. Uh, it led to a guest shot of a uh, preacher on Spencer for Hire who had a, I, I played a preacher who had a nervous breakdown. It was a very interesting role. But basically, I guess because of the way I look or whatever, I've, I've played boy meets girl in my career and <clears throat> boy gets girl and, and, uh, or doesn't get girl and that's, that's the biggest problem of the film. Uh, for whatever, I've... I've my, everyone has to work with their physicality, and, and you, you work with that, and you, you play it for all it's worth. You know? Yeah, it's, I, it's funny. I was, I, was, uh, I was thinking today of an old girlfriend who I, I dated years before who was a, a beautiful kind of Anne Margaret redhead, and, and once in a, in a moment of real, uh, of real candor, she admitted to me that like, uh, the difficulties with being so beautiful, she felt that like, a lot of women had negative uh, feelings about her. So mm. She sort of walked in a room, and she was that kind of beauty. I could imagine her getting that response. And I, uh, you, as an actor, I mean, you were you're almost an, inti- like an intimidatingly handsome man. I could, I could see where... Uh, I didn't see myself as that. I truly, truly didn't. I mean, I thought I was okay looking, but I didn't. Looking back on it, I was I was pretty cute back then. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm 75 now. I'm I'm not. I don't look like that, John Davidson. Uh, you, you you've aged very well, though. Oh, okay, I mean, thanks. You, I, I could thanks. I could easily imagine you playing uh, playing the crazy preacher today as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, some of the most interesting roles you had were the ones I felt that kind of worked against uh, your good looks and sort mm. of. Uh, uh, showed something something more devious underneath the uh, the yeah. surface than mm-hmm. you, and I, and I, I can almost saw that in the uh, in the Hollywood squares when you used to be a regular uh, before you hosted, and you used to give these you used to almost like a con man give the uh, yeah. the the, uh, the contestants a very uh, well thought out and uh, sounded like a very scholarly answer, but you were actually conning them. And <laughs> yeah, I was doing a little bit of a guy named Professor Irwin Corey, who just died this last year. <laughs> who was an authority on everything but nothing. 
And uh, that sort of zany, of making up fake answers as, as if they were really, really true. That, I just, I couldn't do the jokes. You know, Hollywood Squares, they give the stars a joke. They don't give you the question, they don't give you the answer, but they give you a joke. And so, you, I, I wasn't good at doing that as well as Paul Lind or, or Joan Rivers or other people. So real, I, I real masters, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I almost felt like you were, you were sort of getting by on, on, the, on the charm and trust people had on you from that sort of Maybe. clean kind of image of fit. Um, one of the places I saw you a lot uh, back in the day was uh, hosting The Tonight Show. When, back when yes. it was the, the real, you know, front stage of, of, of entertainment. You uh, mm. were on there 87 times, I believe, over the years as, as the guest host. Yeah, something like that. Maybe 80. I, I can't remember. But yeah, they brought me in to, to replace Carson. Uh, a lot, I think, originally because I was on NBC with the girl with something extra. I played in the Sally Field series. I played her husband, so NBC was kind of promoting me as one of their guys. So they put me on the Tonight Show, but that did develop into a, a, a great relationship, and I, I learned a lot about hosting. I guess so much so that I was sort of prepared when I took over from Mike Douglas, my daytime talk show in '79. I took over the Mike Douglas show and became the host of that for two years. But I still, I still had a lot to learn, and I think the best thing that I do is is entertaining, which I still do now with my guitar. I go out and do shows, and um, it's it's I, I, that's my favorite thing is to be able to sing as well as I can. I'm still singing really well. I I, I love working on my singing, and I still uh, love telling jokes and finding new jokes. You know. But I, I would be curious to hear a little bit about what the production of The Tonight Show was it, as you sat in the center of that. I mean, you must have interviewed incredible guests, I would imagine, too. Yes. When you're a guest host, uh, you, can't, you realize you can't have on all your friends, all your entertainer friends that you know, actor friends, because the show is very set as to those guests that have been approved by Johnny and by NBC and Fred DeCordova. And so, so you don't have much control, which I understand, of course, as a guest host. But it was a great thrill to, to, to interview so many different kinds of people. Met, met a lot of uh, stars that I wouldn't have met. Also, hosting the Hollywood Squares was a chance to meet really incredibly famous people. And um, I'm sometimes tongue-tied about <laughs> when I'm around really, really famous people. Who, who, would, who would leave you tongue-tied? I'm curious. Oh, when Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds came on the Hollywood Squares when he was at his height, just biggest making big movies, and I just couldn't even speak to him. I was so in awe. I thought he was so cool. And, uh, oh, uh, gee, Jane Fonda was on my talk show. I couldn't even speak. I, I just thought, <laughs> here's an incredible lady. Uh, Betty Davis, I didn't know how to talk to. Even Carol Burnett, who introduced me on TV, I was just tongue-tied trying to speak to I think they're such legendary people. Uh, Lucille Ball, I did several Lucille Ball shows, and just was too shy to even talk to her. I've, I've had that trouble with <clears throat> not being confident enough, you know? It's, I think everybody has that at some point. Sure, yeah, I, I would be surprised though, because you, you always seemed uh, unusually uh, sort of genial and prepared and uh, yeah. sort I of find on that top. When I'm ill at ease, I tend to smile even more, which is a nervous tick, I think. I, I realized, I did a love boat once. I did several shots on the love boat and uh, this was when the ship actually went left, was a real boat. And Telly Savalas was on the love boat. 
and uh, with his, he, he and his wife and I with my wife, we, we had dinner together, and he took me aside and he said, John, you know, you ought to try something. Don't smile. He said, try to play a whole scene sometime in, in a play, in, in a sitcom or in a movie where you don't smile. And you'd be amazed at what effect that has. Um, just, just be a little bit more covered. Don't, don't smile. Don't give it all away. Don't, don't smile. And I tried that a couple of times, and I, I, just, I never got comfortable with it. But I think people think of John Davidson as smiling. I notice when, when I meet people, if I don't smile, people don't recognize me. <laughs> I mean, even, even years ago. Wow. So... It's, it's interesting that sometimes smiling can be a nervous tick. It ain't no use to sit and wonder why, babe. It don't matter anyhow. And it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, babe. If you don't know by now When the rooster crows at the break of dawn You look out your window I'll be gone You're the reason I'm traveling on But don't you think twice It's alright Going down that long lonesome road Yeah Goodbyes to the world, girl. So I'll just say very well. I ain't saying you treated me unkind. You could have done better. I don't mind. You just kind of wasted my precious time. Don't you think twice? It's all right. I'm surprised that listening to interviews recently, you, you sort of talk about John Davidson as being, uh, you know, almost mm. another person that you're outside, uh, you know, look, looking into. Well, it's hard not to uh, to look at your image and to see, you know, when I started, I was just so, so, uh, uh, looking back, it, it was boring. I was just so, not that I'm, I, I think I've evolved over the years, from being with show business people who are often more very progressive, and uh, but I, I I became very liberal starting in college, uh, and, and if, if uh, 
just become more and more liberal and more and more progressive the older I've gotten. And, and uh, I just think I have more to say now, and, and uh, I'm enjoying life in a more fuller way now than I ever have. Interesting. Uh, how has this political side sort of played out in, in your act? Is it uh, something that you... Oh, uh, in my act, I'm an entertainer. I, I'm yeah. not, I, I don't try to change people's views about Trump and, um, or about... Uh, I, I, don't, I, I try not to be too political except just maybe a joke or something. But I, uh, I'm not an activist. Uh, I'm, I'm very much uh, a progressive liberal uh, Democrat. But um, when I entertain, I entertain with stories about marriage and stories about getting older. Uh, I have a lot of original songs I do. I'm a singer-songwriter, storyteller now in my show and do a lot of original songs. And, and, and then some, some covers of, of uh, do 50s stuff, 50s and 60s tunes and, and a lot of comedy bits. Yeah. Uh, this might be a good time for you. To, could you do one of your original songs for us here? Well, I, uh, I, I wrote a song called 70 Sucks. I never had a problem with the ladies I was quite a hunk, there was no doubt I'd flash my dimples, every heart would melt My pecs were firm, my body felt. But now my sorry assets are sagging south I'm in my 70s Where did all my muscles go? I'm in my 70s I can't get my blood to flow Girls used to scream. They used to call me a fox. Now they call me grandpa and I'm wearing orthopedic socks cause I'm in my 70s. My man boobs are flopping. I got <laughs> and it goes on, it goes on like that. That's what it is. Very nice, very nice. And uh, he may talk about being in his 70s, but there was a woman who almost cried on the way to the room because she saw him today. Uh, my, my wife uh, concurs that uh, John Davidson in his 70s still a, still a pretty potent, uh, potent act. Wrote a song, a love song to my wife. Not, not a comedy song, but... I still want to be your Superman in my saggy blue suit and my faded old red wrinkled cape You used to fly with me till morning Remember how we shared the great escape You are still the fairest maiden in all my fantasies I am your aging action hero How'd you like to fly away with me? Now we're like an old pair of jeans Stretched to fit in faded blue And I've kissed you in so many ways and places, girl What can I do that's new to you? Shared so many secrets Lovers have turned to friends well, You can read me like an open book Tell me, how does our story end? Cause I still Wanna be your Superman in my saggy blue suit and my faded old red wrinkled cape. So it goes along like that. It's a it's a nice tune, just saying you know we're older now, but but I still love you and we can still make love. <laughs> That's great. You you were you really got the. Uh... 
the, the full treatment at Columbia Records in the in the 60s. I know you were produced by Bob Johnston, who produced uh, mm -hmm. Johnny Cash and 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 uh, Bob Dylan, and uh, you you. Uh, I never developed a hit record. I, I always did. Every, John Davidson sings the hit of 74. John Davidson sings the hits of, of 78. I mean, that, that's the way they did it with a lot of the artists, with Mathis, uh, Goulet, um, uh, Percy Faith, uh, Henry Mancini. They, they, let's do the hits of this year. It's, it's ridiculous, really, because you want to hear those hits by the original artists. It was a crazy idea. They stopped doing it in, in the 80s and 90s. I would make a case uh, all these years later. It's kind of nice to hear, uh, you know, familiar tunes uh, sung by somebody else with the new arrangements and everything. Those records okay. are, are, yeah, I love your version of Daydream that you did. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, was a, that was a single for you. What a day for a daydream. You mean that? What a day for a daydreaming boy. Now I'm lost in a daydream. Great John Sebastian. Yeah, the Love and Spoonful. Yeah, he's, Love and Spoonful. He's still out there playing as well. He is. Yeah. Still writing and, and uh, oh, he's, he's an amazing guy. Speaking about women, uh, you uh, were paired with, with two of my, you know, th those, uh, those actresses you love in the way you only love when you're like 10 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, you were paired with both Sally Field and, and the, the girl with something extra where she was a psychic and you were her boyfriend. Uh, and also Karen Valentine and uh, what was the name of that one? Uh, Coffee, Tea or Me, I think as well. Yeah, uh, thanks for remembering that. I, I did a, it was a movie of the week based on a uh, Captain, uh, Captain's Paradise, I guess, where, where a guy a guy has two girls in two different places. In this case, she was an Arab, a flight attendant and had a, a boyfriend in England, and, and, and then I was the boyfriend in America. Karen Valentine, I still have a crush on Karen Valentine. I'll tell you, I, w I would love to do a show with her today, maybe uh, same time next year, one of those plays where people get older or whatever. Uh, she's still as cute as a button. Uh, she's... She was a wonderful actress. She, she was so cute. I think people didn't realize what a, what a fine actress she was. And she, she's quite a talent. Worked with her on Hollywood Squares a lot. We were always on either side of Paul Lind. And, um, but yeah, I, I sort of had a crush on Karen Valentine. I had, I had a crush on Leslie Ann Warren, too, in the Disney films. And, she was Cinderella. How could you not? And Cinderella, yeah. <laughs> That's right. Sally Field, uh, you working with her. How, how, was, how was she to work with? Oh, what a great lady. Uh, I worked with Sally Field in 73, 74, before, and she was in transition, I would say. It was before she did Sybil, that lady with all the personalities, and won, I think, an Emmy for that. And, of course, before she won her Academy Awards and became the Sally Field that we know now. She was stretching, and um, she was trying to get away from being Gidget, you know, and the flying nun and all that. She, so she was in transition, a, a great lady. Um, you seemed to have great chemistry. I mean, you, you we two could have been cuter together. We did. I, I had a crush on her as well. We were, we were both married, and uh, uh, we just, I think we were both very taken with each other, and, and, uh, but that show only lasted a year. That show couldn't figure out whether it was a romantic comedy 
or whether whether it was a romantic show or a comedy, which it was. So, but um, it was a hit at our house for sure. Great. <laughs> what was it like in, in Hollywood out in, out in the seventies? I mean, you were I there. I don't even know. I I don't feel that I was part of the Hollywood scene. You know, I, I lived out in the Valley, San Fernando Valley, and uh, I raised horses. I was uh, breeding Arabian horses at that time. And then I had a boat that I used to take to Catalina and that we used to get away. And um, I really didn't, I've never felt part of the Hollywood crowd. I felt like I'm on the fringe of show business. You know, I've been, you know, in, in all truthfulness, I've always been working at the perfect show, the perfect album, the perfect concert, the perfect portrayal of some role in a movie or stage. And I don't feel that I've gotten there yet. I, I'm still waiting for my perfect show. I'm, you know, I'm, uh, maybe I've been too versatile. Maybe I've tried to be too many things, but I don't feel I've ever really made it. You know, I've, yeah, I, I, I did a lot of television so that people knew, you know, who I was uh, back in the 70s, 80s, but um, that's a long time ago now. So um, I'm still working at my career. I learn something every day, and uh, I still take voice lessons and guitar lessons, and I'm, um, I'm still trying to be better and learning something every day. Well, maybe that's why you're, you're, you're still doing it. I would uh, talk, like to talk a minute about, you had a, a, a two-man show that was autobiographical. That, uh, yes, I, I've always wanted to try to write a play. And, and I wrote a, a drama, a drama, about my relationship with my father. Because he was a Baptist minister. And I, can, I just can't understand uh, how he, he has his doctorate. My dad had his doctorate in uh, the philosophy of religion. And um, so we, we couldn't communicate on that basis because I'm not religious at all. Even as a, as a kid, was it? Uh, I struggled with it all through school. I, um, in college, I, I was a philosophy major. And I took two courses that, that really brought me down to earth. Uh, a course in logic and comparative religion, the religions of the world, and logic 101. And they just didn't go together. You just can't be logical, and 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 uh, I don't think, and, and have faith in in uh, an imaginary friend, or or a supreme being of any kind. I, the two just, in my mind, just don't go together. That, that's just my take. Um, so I I uh, I've struggled with that, and so the play called Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is a confrontation with my father. I bring him back as a ghost. I wrote it when I was 68. So I bring him back. I found another guy to play my father, and I play me at 68. And it's a, uh, it's a, it's, it's, it's a problem show in that there is a controversy, and, and it, it's, a, it's an argument show about religion. And in the end, uh, it, it has a disastrous ending, and, and uh, so they both learn something, but they never do solve uh, the problem of of, uh, of religion. I, I, it's it's something we all have to deal with. And in my way, I've dealt with it by by becoming openly secular. Yeah. Was it was it unresolved with you and your father? I, I guess he's gone now. Or yes. Yeah. 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 We just decided to disagree. I, I just don't. Uh, I, I couldn't. Uh, we just couldn't agree on that. Yeah. It, it's. In my own life, I know so many secular people, and I'm, you know, very secular myself. 
Um, but it's, it's shocking that in this day and age they still talk about that you could never be elected president if you were, you know, did not believe in God. Yeah, but it's true. Every yeah. politician, you have to. And, uh, Even Trump makes a sort of nod towards religion that seems yeah. out of character for the rest of his yeah. personality. Right. As, as we both make kind of bad faces about thinking about Trump's oh. personality. Yes, yes. <laughs> what, 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 what do you have? What, what are you saying about Trump these days? I mean, where do we stand well, here? I used here to a month do Trump jokes. I used to, used to do a lot of Trump jokes, but I, you know, I've stopped. I think I might do one now. It's just not funny anymore. It's so sad how he conned this country, and uh, I, I would assume that the poor people who voted for Donald Trump, who thought that he was going to make their lives better give them jobs or, or, or this, this billionaire who's never cared about the little guy, never done a minute of public service in his life, has no idea what he's doing in Washington. It's just so embarrassing. He's an embarrassment to America. It's just, it's such a shame. I, I'm not saying Hillary, Clinton, Hillary Clinton is the perfect candidate, but she represents all the values that, that I think are important. It's, it's such a shame. I, I can't, it almost makes me cry to think about what has happened. I just hope it'll be over soon. I hope Donald Trump is impeached or, or somehow, or and his whole cabinet is just, it's, it's a shame. It's embarrassing. In, in so many ways, I, 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 I could go on and on. It's interesting that he, he sort of got in by, by uh, bad-mouthing the Republican Party as much as the Democratic Party. And, uh, and yet, as he got into office, he you know, uh, really buddied up with the, with the most extreme uh, end of that, of that party. Yeah, it, uh, yeah it's, uh, I think the biggest reason why it happened is that people wanted change. They, they, they wanted to improve their lives, and, and they thought that, that Clinton was the same old, same old, and that Trump was something new. Well, he is something new. He's, a, he's incapable of doing this job. He's way over his head. And he's, you know, other countries are laughing at us. Unfortunately, in my family, we have a real split in my family, as many people do, because half the country bought into this. And I, I'm, members of my family, I won't go into detail, but we, we had a lot of trouble at Thanksgiving. As, <laughs> as a I'm lot sure of people across the country have. Them, yeah. yeah. I've really tried to keep a... Uh, a door open with my high school friends. I grew up in a very working class background. My town itself went went for Trump, I think two thirds of the voters. And uh, I've, I've tried to stay away from being personally insulting towards right. him and being insulting towards them for, for you know, rep for, uh, you know, electing him or voting for him. But, but I've tried to point out that, you know, the, 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 uh, the, uh, the hypocrisies that, that they themselves would have problems mm -hmm. with, with him. Such a shame. My, my son, is married to a Mexicana. His wife is Claudia from Guadalajara. So I have two Mexican-American uh, grandchildren who are, they were born in the U.S., but they now live in Mexico. And for him to insult this whole country and call the immigrants that have come here from Mexico, who came here because they were desperately poor, desperately poor. And often not, because of American policy, you know, economic policies towards Mexico yeah. as well. And of course, they're not just Mexican. They're, these are people who are coming through Mexico to yeah. come here. So they're from all of Central America sure. and South America. But for him to degrade my grandchildren 
and, and my, my son's wife and, and her whole family is just an insult to, to me as a human being. I'm so ashamed of even saying that, that Donald Trump is our president. I'm ashamed to be a white guy in America. I mean, his slogan is, let's make America white again. That's what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Oh, yeah. He doesn't like the diversity. Yeah. The diversity is what we are. We're a nation of immigrants. We're, we're, the white people are going to be in the minority in, what, just a couple of decades. Um, the richness of this country is our diversity. Absolutely. And he's, he's made that all sour. Oh, I'm so ashamed to be white in America sometimes. Yeah. How many roads must a man walk down Before you can call him a man Yes, and how many seas must the white dove sail Before she sleeps in the sand Yes, and how many times must the cannonballs fly Before they're forever banned the answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. How many years can a mountain exist before it's washed to the sea Yes, how many years can some people exist Before they're allowed to be free Yes, and how many times can a man turn his head Pretending it just doesn't see The answer, my friend Is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind The answer is blowing in the wind. In, in recent years, you also uh, were uh, part of the touring show for uh, Wicked. Playing, yes, I played the wizard in Wicked for three different tours, just on the road. I never did it on Broadway, but... How many shows a week were you doing then? Eight, eight. Eight shows a week, yeah. But the wizard in Wicked is not a very big role. You got, there's a couple of songs and a couple of scenes, but it's all about the witches. If anybody's seen Wicked, it's a fabulous show, incredible show, and it's still selling out all over the country. It's an incredible musical. If you haven't seen Wicked, you should see it. 
Is it um, nice to be around the young people uh, working? Well, on that's that? the weird thing. The wizard is, of course, in his 60s, and everyone else is 12. <laughs> Not 12, but in their 20s. So you you feel a little isolated. You're, you're very. There's a Professor Dillamond, the guy who plays the goat in the show. He's the school professor. Um, is he's probably in his 50s or 60s. So you usually hang out with him. But it's a. Uh, it's, it's, it's a little isolating, being the wizard. It's really all about the witches. Yeah. But it was, I learned a lot from listening to that show. The, the voices are incredible. And it's very well done. They send out people from New York to give notes and to redirect Wicked, to hone it uh, once a month. They come out from New York oh, really? and whip the show into shape. If you've slipped a little, if you've started fooling around or whatever, no, this is the way we do Wicked. It's very, anytime you see Wicked, it will be a sharp show. Wow. wow. Do you still pursue f- film roles and, and acting roles? Yeah, well, sure, but they, uh, you know, I'm, I'm an older guy now, and, and there's less parts for grandpas. Most parts are for younger people in television and film and Broadway. But uh, I'm, still, I'm still waiting for those calls. Um, I'm very excited about a new project I'm doing called The Caregiver Connection. We're developing a show of all about caregivers. You know, with the baby boomers getting older, so many people are volunteering to, to care for, um, out, of, out of necessity and sometimes out of choice, uh, people in their homes or in their homes. So the, the caregiver connection is what it's called. And uh, it, it'll be a syndicated show in some manner that I'm hosting to give a nod and give recognition to the caregivers of America who give at least uh, 20 hours a week. There's 40 million caregivers in America today. Yeah, yeah. And as our, as our medical system phrase, I, I think that mm-hmm. you know, they, their, their role is, is more important than ever. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you've played some music for, for that show, too, I believe, haven't you? Yes. Did I see you playing your guitar? How about, how about we play the guitar and one I can't. I don't know that song yet. I started, but I'm just learning it. It's a John Sebastian song called All the Stories We Could Tell. Yeah. yeah. And I'm collecting stories of caregivers all across the country. But I don't, I, I don't, don't have that on my guitar yet. Okay, can we have one, one song on the guitar before we roll out of here? Yeah, let's just close our little segment because i got to go. Yeah, I know. You, you've, you've got dinner waiting for you. I don't want to get you in trouble with your wife. song I wrote. People say, uh, why are you still performing? Well, I was getting close to my retirement day. Had my company stock and my 401k. South of France, yep, that's where I was bound. Thought I'd drive my new Mercedes from town to town I'd cruise up the Nile Vacation in Rome Go shopping in New Hampshire for my second home But after 2008 Well, I think it's quite clear I'll be driving this Yugo for at least another year I got the blues I got the Wall Street blues I saw my CEO, he's wearing handcuffs on the news And I can't really pay my ARP dues All I got left is a song called the Wall Street Blues I remember the 90s, back when we all were rich Then Enron popped the bubble, and Martha Stewart dropped a stitch Now the banks won't lend the money the gas pumps took their toll. My portfolio's in the toilet, and the whole world's in a hole. I want to 
bonus like a CEO. Then I could live in style. I'm tired of swimming at the wild. I want to cruise up the Nile. Why can't I get a bailout? Own my own home free and clear. I can't afford to retire. That's why I'm singing here. I got the blues. I got the Wall Street blues. I saw my CEO. He's wearing handcuffs on the news. And I can't really pay my ARP dues. All I got left is a song called the Wall Street blues. All I got left is a song called the Wall Street blues. Beautiful, beautiful. Thanks, Dan. Uh, Pleasure thank, being with you. Thank you so much for coming out. You're still uh, sounding great. If anybody out there is uh, from the New England area and John's doing this private troubadour act. Yeah. My whole schedule of appearances on johndavidson.com. They can see where I'm performing. I'd love to have somebody come by and say, I heard John Dan's uh, uh, on the podcast here. Podcast. The yeah. Fun to know podcast. Good. Uh, thanks so much, John. Thanks, Dan. Thank That's it for today's Fun to Know podcast. Huge thanks to Todd Quaite, Ben Vita, and John Davidson for taking time late in his day to talk to us. You can find out more about John at johndavidson.com, where you can gaze upon his remarkably lustrous head of hair and find out where he might be performing. Make sure you tell him hello if you do go out and see him. As for me, you can check out my writing on film at fawker.com. That's P-H-A-W-K-E-R.com. You can hear me Spinning Jazz and Beyond on WPRB Princeton Mondays from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m., both over the air and at WPRB.com. And I hope you return back for more Fun to Know. We're free, I tell you. So wake up. It's time.